Good morning. Good morning, family. So glad to see everyone here worshiping with us, with us this morning. Thank you, Ty and Keeley and Braxton, for leading us in song. I'm always thankful for the skill you guys bring uh, to that endeavor, so thank you so much. We are going to start a new series today, as is fitting, the first Sunday of 2024, uh, as we dive into the book of Proverbs. And so we will be in the book of Proverbs for the next 12 weeks or so, looking at what this teaches us about life, how, what teaches us about wisdom, what teaches us about following Christ in our life. Uh, but before we dive into this book, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, thank you so much for your word. That we can read it, we can know it, we can understand how you've worked through history, but also understand how you have given us wisdom to live life well before you. Lord, I just pray for this time as we open up your book that you bring it to life in our hearts and our minds, that we can truly see you and know you and respond to you as your people. That you can teach us what we need to be taught, that you can grow us in the ways in which we can grow or should grow, that you make us your people in all these ways. Lord, we love you and we seek you and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So Proverbs are universal around the globe. Every single culture has proverbial statements that are stated again and again that work its way into the culture. Every culture has these simple truths that uh, are stated in ways in which they can be remembered, and they kind of ingrain themselves in our minds, and you find yourself repeating them to people or just quoting them to people. And it's interesting, I was looking up different proverbs from different segments of the world, and they're so normal to ones we probably hear every day. But it just shows that they are universal. Humans speak in proverbs. They have proverbial statements that seek to express truth to one another in ways in which they can be remembered. And so I was just looking at some ones, like uh, from Africa, you have the proverb, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. A Japanese proverb says, fall seven times and stand up eight. A Swedish proverb says, shared joy is a double joy. Shared sorrow is a half a sorrow. A Yiddish proverb says, words should be weighed, not counted. A Latin proverb says, still waters run deep. From Turkey, we have measure a thousand times and cut once. I've always heard this only twice, but okay. A Thai proverb says, in the battle between elephants, the ants get squashed. A Chinese proverb says, give a man a fish, and feed, you feed him for a day. Teach a man to fish, you feed him for a lifetime. Never knew that was a Chinese proverb. African proverb, it takes a whole village to raise a child. You can go on and on. You can even just, just take a quick little drop down to Google wormhole, and you'll find Proverb after proverb from every corner of the world expressing this truth. Because proverbs are kind of universal for humanity. It's a poetic art form where people are seeking to express wisdom or truth as someone wrestles with this small statement. People have described proverbs as a compressed truth or a truth statement that's stripped down to its bare essentials that are giving us some truth of the world. And so when we come to the book of Proverbs in the Bible, it's the same thing. What we get are these truth statements given to us to wrestle with them, to understand truth about the world that God has made. 
Some people say that the book of Psalms is about man before God and that the book of Proverbs is about man before other men, how men relate with men. And I would say that's true, but also that the book of Proverbs is how a person relates to a person before God, living and honoring God in their life. So these Proverbs, which are general truths, they give us a picture of the world and how we relate to people, but they don't usually get us, give us the whole picture. Which is why when you read Proverbs about different subjects or the same subject, they actually present different angles about the same thing, hoping to kind of hem in the truth of how we should live. And as believers, when we read the book of Proverbs, we understand this is the word of God giving these general truths, but it gets tricky sometimes. Because so many people want to read a proverb and they want to take it as a promise from God, but it's not a promise from God except for it's a general truth about how life works. And sometimes it does not kind of work out as they state, but it gives you that general truth. And we can gain wisdom and understanding about this world as we do it. And as Christians, as we read them, we know that we find their fullest meaning in Jesus Christ as he provides wisdom for us and how we live our life. So all that said, let's dive into the book of Proverbs as we read the first seven verses of the book of Proverbs. It says this, The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, equity, equity sorry, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth, let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise in their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. I would sum up the beginning, the foundation of Proverbs with just the simple statement, to be wise fear God. That's the foundation. That's the starting point for all wisdom and understanding of this world and life. That to be wise, to actually know and understand how to walk through this life, understand how to navigate this life, understand what the true meaning of life is, we first have to come to a right understanding of who God is. And so to be wise, fear God. We have to start with God and we have to get the right view of who he is. To be wise, fear God. God. But when we look at the book of Proverbs, we have to understand where it falls within Scripture and how it was compiled, and we just need some understanding of what it is. And verse 1 gives us that understanding. We know that, for the most part, the book of Proverbs was compiled by the king of, the king of Israel, Solomon, who's the son of David, which puts the, the, the most of the Proverbs being compiled around 950 B.C., Solomon, if you remember who Solomon was, he's the son of David. He we ascended the throne after David. And the one thing that he asked of God was for wisdom. And so he was known as the most wise king in the whole region. People flocked to him for his wisdom. And so it makes sense that then he would compile a book of wisdom for people to read and understand. We also know if, if you read the book of Proverbs, that there's other authors that their Proverbs have been kind of compiled with it. We see that when it refers to the Proverbs of the wise or for the Proverbs of Agar or, or the Proverbs of King Lemuel. And so we understand that this book was compiled after Solomon of his wisdom. 
And then if you read in Proverbs 25, verses 1, you see that actually Hezekiah, a king much later than Solomon, came by and had his men compile more of Solomon's wisdom together, which means that around 700 B.C., 250 years later, after Solomon lived, they were still compiling his wisdom because it was so rich. That Proverbs, just from that understanding that was compiled together, is a different kind of book than sometimes we're used to when we read the Bible. It's not narrative. It's not telling a story that shows how God's working through history. It's not a letter written to a people explaining how they should respond to God's grace. It's wisdom literature. It's given to us to understand life and how to live it. That we read these and sometimes they kind of flow together and sometimes they seem to be just like a shotgun of bullet statements, one after another, that we process together and work through. And so we read that and understand this is given to us to understand who God is and how to live in his sight. Which makes us say, well, then what is the purpose? What's the deeper maybe purpose of Proverbs? Well, Solomon doesn't leave us wanting. Verses 2 through 6 tell us exactly what the purpose of Proverbs, this book, is. Why did he write this? He says to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight. The very first thing is to know that he wrote this so that people could know the truth of who God is, but also more than that, to know how to live before God with other people. To know, to actually convey information, to pass on information that we need to know. But also to, re- to receive instruction in wise dealing and righteousness and justice and e- equity. That we receive instruction that we need to be taught And so by reading the Proverbs, we're actually taught and we can grow and we can mature that we need it. One of the most frustrating things with my 11-year-old son is that when I start to talk to him and explain something to him, he says, I know, when it's very clear he has no clue. And that is almost a picture that we'll get to of that foolish person who does not receive instruction who thinks they know it all, and but King Solomon here, God here, coming through the Word, says one of the purposes to wrestle with a proverb is that we receive instruction that we need to be taught. But also it goes on to give prudence to simple and knowledge and discretion to the youth. We got this sense that it's to give us what we're lacking. The simple person who sees life very simply is given prudence, an understanding of how to navigate life well, an understanding of how to understand how things interact with each other, to handle life with care. To the youth, they need knowledge and discretion because, as we all know, youth need to understand how the world is going on and how to operate well in it. But not just to those who's lacking, it also says to increase the wise to give understanding to people, to increase and understand and grow in the knowledge of God. And so everyone is hit here from Proverbs, from the youth to the simple to the wise. We all need it to gain instruction about who God is because we all need wisdom from God. We need to wrestle with God, what God has said. One of my, one, uh, a quote I came by from Tim Keller about Proverbs is that he says a proverb is like hard candy. If you just bite down on it, you get little out of it. It may even get a broken tooth. Instead, you must meditate on it until the sweetness of insight comes. 
that a proverb is made for us to wrestle with that truth, kind of see how it works in life, see how it applies to life, that is to give us wisdom, how to navigate life well. Proverbs kind of hit that middle gap because they're producing wisdom and how to live life well. Where so often when we talk about the Bible and how we should live, we go and say, is there a command here? Is there a command we should follow? And then when there's not a clear moral command to follow, sometimes we go, well, I don't know what to do then. Proverbs is supposed to get into that middle area and say, no, now you apply wisdom from God to this life. So when you don't know how to respond, you, the Proverbs provides that wisdom of how to respond to life, how to navigate life well, how to live your life before God in honor away, even when there's not express command on how to do so in situations, Proverbs gives us that wisdom on how to live before God as his people. That to be wise, we fear God, we go to God for wisdom and how we're supposed to understand him. And that's how Proverbs start, how wisdom starts, I should say, is that we see who God is. All understanding of this world, this cosmos, starts with God. If we believe the Bible, if we, if we believe what the Bible says, that he created it all, that he made it all, that he rules over it all, that he is the sovereign Lord of the universe, if we believe what the Bible speaks about God, then it makes sense. If we want any understanding about life, ourselves, wisdom, and how to navigate this life, we go to God first. The tragic nature of humanity, because we are such rebels, is that we want to go to ourselves first. What makes me feel good? What makes sense in my own eyes? How do I think I should live in this world? When the wisdom of the Bible says, no, you go to God, that all understanding, all wisdom starts with looking at God first and working down from him as he gives us his truth. And the Bible starts with this understanding that you, to first know God is to fear God. Verse 7 says that. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. This is stated several times throughout the book. It's stated in Psalms. It's stated as people quote it again. In the, in the book of Proverbs, it's stated at least 15 times that the fear of God is what gives us that understanding, that knowledge about life. But we object to that. Because we're all good Christians. Like, why should we fear God? We have nothing to fear from God. He sent his son to save us. And I'll say, yes, that is emphatically true, that he loves you. Well, sometimes we focus on that to the exclusion of this knowledge that, that the Bible says to fear him, and we move too fast part, uh, apart from it or through it because it makes us uncomfortable. It makes us kind of, kind of get a little squirmish, like why should we fear God? That's like my grandfather's church that preached fire and brimstone. I don't want anything to do with that. Why should I fear God? But the Bible says this is the start and the beginning of wisdom. Which, when we think about it, makes a certain sense. Just from a human understanding of it, it makes a certain sense because it's right to fear some things. If you were confronted out in the wild with a tiger, it's right to be fearful of a beast that can rip your face off. 
If you're on the edge of a cliff, looking down to expanse that would take your life, it's right and proper to be fearful of that cliff. Young ones who have no insight or knowledge, they kind of want up here. That's why parents grab them and pull them back. Because it's right to be fearful of things that can do that. It's rightful and good if you're wandering in the woods of Arkansas during the summer to be aware of poisonous snakes. It's good and, and it's actually wise to fear some things. And that gives us an understanding of how to approach who God is. That there are certain things that should be feared. But for the Christian, the fear of God is not a terror, it's not a trembling, it, but it's actually a reverential awe of who he is. That he is the all-powerful God of the universe. He is the sovereign Lord of the universe, and yet he condescends to call you his own. That there's this, this awe, this reverential, if I can speak today, awe of who he is. That to know God is actually to fear him because to actually know him as the Bible talks about him should strike you to fear because it paints the picture, the true picture of the almighty God who rules from heaven. What he decrees happens. What he speaks is created. He is pure. He is holy. We're not. And to stand before this holy God should strike us in fear, for we should see that we cannot approach him. We have no avenue to reach him. We cannot be part of him, for he is God and we are not. It makes us trear, uh, fear, it makes us tremble, it makes us dread, but then it leads us to astonishment. For as we stand here looking at our God, who is so powerful, who is so beyond us, he condescends to speak to us. He lowers himself to meet with us and lead his people. And then he sends his son, who is God himself, to live with us as one of us. We see his love, and so that terror of who this God is actually transforms into astonishment, and that astonishment is transformed into awe, and that awe is transformed into reverence, and that reverence is transformed into devotion, and that devotion is transformed into trust as we see this God working in our life, and then that trust is transformed into worship as we know God truly as who he is, who loves us. The picture we see in the Bible is of that heavenly courtroom or heavenly kind of court where God sits on his throne and he rules and we are ushered before him and the king steps off his throne to embrace us as his child. But he's still the king. And it fills us with awe and reverence that he would love us to that extent. The funny thing is that we always try to tame God. We think sometimes that because he loves us, he's tamed and he's easy to get along with him, can do what we want, but he never loses his kingdom, his kinghood. He never loses the fact that he truly is God. I love how we see this picture, this truth expressed to us when you read uh, C.S. Lewis's The Chronicle of Narnia. In the very first book, The Lion and Witch in the Wardrobe, and I say first book because it chronologically was written first, 
we have this discussion of the, the kids are in Narnia, they're talking to the beaver family, and they hear about this king is coming. It's this king, he's Aslan, he's coming, and they're like, oh, wow, this is great. But then they hear he's a lion, and they're like, whoa, this king is a lion? It kind of scares us. And Lucy asks, he says, is he safe? And Mr. Beaver replies, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And I love that because it gives us a picture of who God is. If we were to go out today and we talk to someone who does not know God, and they ask if God is safe, well, he's not safe. He's the Lord of the universe. He commands all. He demands all. There's nothing safe about him. When he calls us to us, he's called us to come to him to die to ourselves and follow him. There's nothing safe about him, but he's good. And he loves us. And we can trust in that. We know that to be true. To be wise, fear God. The beginning of all wisdom, the beginning of all understanding of who God is, is rooted into this truth that we come to him and know him as the Bible presents him. That he is the Lord. He is God. And fear of God drives out all other lesser fears. There's an amazing thing about the fear of God is that actually is opposed to all these other fears that seem to drive us and lead us through life. That the fear of God is opposed to any fear of man. The fear of God is opposed to any fear of circumstances. So many people are going through life and they're fearing how people view them. They're fearing what people might say to them. They're fearing what my people might do to them. And they operate their life and they make decisions based on that. They don't want to be the outlier. They don't want to be abnormal. They don't want to go against how the culture talks or how the culture is drifting or moving. And so they fear man and they're kind of immobilized by that. But the fear of God comes and frees you from that because you cannot fear man when you're fearing God because you know who God is and you know he's so much greater than any human or any society or any culture or any ways of the, the times. And so when you fear God, he actually frees you to actually follow how God calls you to live. That some people are so fearful of the circumstances they might find themselves in this world. That circumstances could be hard, that things go bad, and they're fearful of what could happen, and actually that immobilizes them to take any step or make any decisions in life because they're fearful of what could happen in response to what they do. But when you fear God, you know He is more powerful and He is more greater than anything, any circumstance we face. And it frees us to say, I'm following Him because even though something might happen that I might not like, I know that God is greater. Even if things hurt me and we hit the storms and the waves hit us and we don't know what's happening, we know we're following God and we know, therefore, we are in His hands and He's working in that. That the fear of the Lord frees us from all these other fears. To be wise, fear God. This is the wisdom. This is what's spoken at the end of this little segment we've read this morning in chapter uh, 1, verse 7. We see this understanding, undergirding all understanding of, of the book of Proverbs that we first fear the Lord. And through that, we gain wisdom. We've talked a little bit about what wisdom is it's that skill in living. 
is that how do we make decisions? How do we navigate life and honor God in the things we do? Well, let's dive into just a little bit what it means to be wise or what does wisdom mean. It's multifaceted. I think there's many ways we can get to it, and we see here there are many ways in which and, and how it describes it. That wisdom first acquires discipline, which is gotten by the understanding of instruction and teaching, that we need training with accountability, that we are trained as we live life together under God and follow his ways, that by doing that, we actually gain wisdom when we have discipline. This is the understanding that happens when we have a confrontation with a friend who speaks the truth to our li- into our lives when we have gone astray and makes us wise because it brings us back on course. This is what happens when we make mistakes and we live through them. We learn, oh, wait a minute, don't go that way. We actually become wise as we are disciplined, instructed, and trained together. If you have a car that breaks down a whole lot that you have to fix a lot, you become very familiar with how to work that car. You become very familiar on how to make it run well. So much so that you probably can be speaking to someone else that has the same car and say, hey, there's a little trick there. You're going to hate it, but this is how you do it. In the same way, when we live through life with under pursuing wisdom, we're disciplined, we're trained in it, we're instructed and trained in the ways in which God will want us to go. It's instruction. But get there, this, this is a community project. The book of Proverbs was not written to a person saying, hey, live this way, isolate alone on yourself. No, it's for the whole church to read and process together how do we live wisely in this world and we need each other to walk through it. We need discipline. But wisdom also contains this element of discernment, which is gathered by that word insight. To, to, that is giving us insight, words of insight at the beginning of that passage. Discernment is that quality of the ability to be able to note distinctions or differences. It's, it's to be able to understand that sometimes life does not exist of choices that are just right and wrong, but so many times there are choices before you that are good, better, and best. And discernment is just that aspect of wisdom that allows you to actually navigate and understand that there are distinctions there. There's nuances that can lead you to what is not only good, but also best for your life. But not just discernment, it also gives you uh, discretion or prudence. It's the idea that you actually plan how you live your life strategically before God. Actually, actually think through, it gives you the wisdom to think through, hey, if I do this action, the results are going to be that. You actually can think through that and say, no, I know I should not do that because I can see what unfolds when I do those certain things. It gives you that ability to know what behavior leads to. That's a part of wisdom, this prudence to live strategically before God, before man. This is this, some aspects, and I think there's more aspects that wisdom gives us that we can nav- navigate life well. That when decisions come to us, when reactions, when we have to react to things, we can actually apply the wisdom that we have gained through following God to know, hey, this is how I should probably operate in this life. But opposed to the wise 
who fear God, who gain these things. You know, discernment, discipline, discretion are the fools. Dan, when he was reading in Matthew 7, he mentions these two type of people, and here we see this again and again. Whenever you hit wisdom in the Bible, it kind of has these two categories. The wise who fear God, order their life under him, and then the fool. And the fool does not know God. The fool does not recognize God. And here we have the fool despises wisdom and instruction. The fool is a person who thinks that they know it all. The fool is a, is a person who thinks they got this. And when you apply it to wisdom, they don't want wisdom. Why? Because when wisdom become, uh, brings discipline and instruction from other people, the fool says, no, I got it on my own. I can do whatever I want. I don't need you to tell me how to go. I am my own captain, the captain of my fate, the master of my destiny, and I'm going to walk forward how I want. That's the fool. It brings no instruction. Who listens to no instruction? The fool also only sees things in black and white to say, no, I only see things in my narrow view. It has no nuance to it. And so they don't have any discernment. The fool just thinks, hey, this is how I see it. I don't want any clarification. I'm going to move forward how I see it and don't want anything else. The fool has no discretion or prudence. They don't even think about how they act, what it leads to. They just act. They just do. And they don't care of the results because they haven't even put any thought into that. That is the fool as opposed to the wise. And the sad thing is, we all have been the fool. I have been the fool so often. It's so easy to be the fool. It's so easy to just think we have it on our own. It's so easy to disregard instruction. It's so easy to not even want to think about the nuance of a situation but snap to a, a quick judgment. It's so easy just to operate without the, thinking about consequences. So easy to live as the fool, but again and again, as we see what the, happens to the fool, the Bible warns us. Don't be the fool who has no recognition of who God is. Don't be the fool who does not submit to who God is. Don't be the fool whose life is going to be lived only for himself and eventually leads to destruction, but rather be wise. And to be wise, we fear God. To be wise, we come to a right understanding of who God is and submit to his word. And this wisdom, as we fear God, leads us to Jesus. To be wise leads us to Jesus. First of all, because when we fear God, when we see who God is, and we see his holiness, and we know that he is the good judge, and we know that he is going to exact justice to the ultimate degree, that there is no injustice in him, that leads us to say, I need a savior, for I cannot be just before my righteous God. And so it leads us to Jesus as we look towards him to save us from ourselves. And so it leads us to Jesus as we fear God and know him as he is portrayed in the Bible. It leads us, but also it leads us to Jesus because again and again we see through the book of Proverbs and we see throughout the rest of the Bible that wisdom is personified and that wisdom finds the completion in Jesus Christ himself. That we actually not only are led to a savior, we're led to a master, a Lord for our lives. That to know how to live for him, we listen to him. We apply his words to our life. We want to follow him because we know how he loves us and what he's done for us and we want to be his in all that we are. That's the, that's, that's 
the main point of that Matthew 7 uh, verse that we read before in, in the service is that if we know who God is, if we know who Jesus is, when we listen to his words, we immediately grab onto them and we follow them because we know they contain wisdom, a wisdom that's going to plant us on the rock of the gospel, wisdom that's going to weather the storm, a wisdom that's going to lead us well through life, that we listen to those, that we go to Jesus, we go to the word of God for wisdom. As Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp unto my feet, is the idea that the word actually gives us light in which we can see in this dark world on how we should walk how we should live, that we go to the word and it leads us to Jesus and we know him and we follow what he has called us to do. To be wise, fear God. Have a correct understanding of who is and you'll have wisdom for life. You want wisdom? Know God. You want to be able to navigate life well? Submit to his word and his commands. Want to generally be in a good track for life, a, a, a general promise, but not free from pain? Fear God more than anything else in this world as we seek him. How do we do that? How do we ingrain this understanding in us? And there's just three things I think we can do to have a beginning of this wisdom. Number one, which you're in the church and so you expect this, read your Bible. You opened up the word of God and you let it saturate into your life until it marinates into your very core and you become a baleen person when you are pricked, you bleed the Bible. When you have the Bible in you, the decisions you make will be from the Bible. When you have the Bible in you, how to navigate this life will be the wisdom of God. We read and consume it. We believe it. We follow it. We apply it. It's the beginning of a new year. What a great time to start actually a Bible reading program where we walk through the Bible, maybe a whole or maybe a part, whatever it is, and we seek to get the knowledge of God and his word into our life so that we can follow him and know him. We read the Bible, we consume it. And then we go to church. This is literally preaching to the choir since you're right here. But you go to church. No one was made to be on their own in this world. No Christian was said, hey, take the gospel, you just need it, and you don't need anyone else, and go your own way. No, we were formed into the community of God. You go to church to be supported, to be loved, to hear the teachings of the word, to grow in your understanding, to apply your understanding. You gather around, you go to church for that community to train you up so that when you're not with them, you're ready to stand firm. We go to church and related to that, the third one is that we seek godly counsel. Again, when we're not on our own, hopefully at church is a place you seek godly counsel, that you go to your church leadership and say, hey, this is what I'm struggling with, this is what I'm dealing with, I need help in navigating this situation, what should I, how should I be thinking through this in a biblical perspective? Hopefully we can be a place where that is practiced. But it also means that when life is hitting you, when you're going through hardship, you don't look for counsel outside of people who believe the same thing you do. 
You don't go to someone who does not believe in a God and say, hey, you seem smart about life. Please tell me your pagan thoughts. It makes no sense that if you're a believer in the word of God, the first person you turn to is God, but the very second person is say, help me understand this wise person that I know through church because I'm plugged in and I go to a small group and we're together in life. Because I cannot live life on my own. We actually seek godly counsel of people who know how to navigate life well, who've done it, been there, have the scars to prove it. They probably can give you some wisdom on how to navigate and follow God no matter what is happening in our lives. How do we be wise? We fear God. We know who he is. He is God. He is not tamed. You can't place him in a box. You cannot soften him. He is God, and we let him speak for himself. We fear him with love because we know how much he loves us, with devotion because we know how he saved us. We worship that God. And then we read our Bible, go to church, and seek godly counsel as we go through this life because we need it. To be wise, fear God. Join me in prayer. Dear Father, thank you so much for your word. And we can read it, we can process it, we can know it, we can see you through it. Lord, I pray for wisdom for all of us, that when we read the Bible, we can gain your wisdom, that when we are approaching situations in life when we need your wisdom, we can ask for your wisdom, that we can seek help from our friends who know you, that we can seek help from those who have gone before us, that we truly seek to be wise. Let us not be content with being youths or the simple or the fool. Let us hope to be wise in the ways of God in this world, to follow where you lead, to submit our lives to your word, to understand your amazing love of how you saved us through Christ and how that changes everything about life. Lord, let us be wise. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.